Uh, but good morning once again. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. We're going to continue our worship. If you can, with your Bibles or your apps, turn to Genesis chapter 32. Uh, Genesis chapter 32, and we'll read verses 22 through 32. And if you don't have a Bible or an app, it's going to be up on the PowerPoint for you guys to follow along. Uh, for the past couple months, we've been following the life and journeying with a man named Jacob. And it's been quite a ride. Uh, everything that makes a good drama, uh, we see in the life of Jacob. We see deception. Uh, we see a love triangle. We see more deception. Uh, we see infighting within the family, division, favoritism, those being loved, unloved. We see more deception. Uh, but despite everything that happens in Jacob's life, God has demonstrated his faithfulness and his goodness in his life. Over and over again, uh, after disappointment and, and disillusionment, God is still faithful to him. Uh, and this is an incredible story of God's grace in a very broken individual. And so last week, what we heard and what we learned is that in the midst of all this, God is still working out his divine purpose. He is still doing something in and through Jacob's life and to fulfill his ultimate plan to save humanity. And so what we're, what we're seeing God do is slowly shaping and molding Jacob into the one that will bless the entire world. And today what we will see in our passage is a radical transformation. Uh, we're, we're starting to see Jacob kind of get it. He's understanding what it means to be the blessed one, uh, what it means for him to receive the promises of God. And so let's give our full attention as I read Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 32. The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and every, everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God's, God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Amen. What is your greatest fear? What is the thing in your life that just grips you and paralyzes you? Uh, for me, that's drowning. I, I have a, a, a fear of drowning, and that's partly because I don't know how to swim. Uh, but I've attempted to swim before, and it didn't go so well. Uh, I had to be actually rescued by a lifeguard. Um, it, it, was, it was really embarrassing. But this is a fear that I have, and I still have to this day. And so you won't see me 
at a pool going into the deep end. I'll, I'll stay with my son in the kiddie pool. Right? Or if we're at a lake with some kind of fun activity, you won't see me going into the, the deep part of the lake. I'll stay at the, 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 the knee-high level, exactly. Uh, people saw this in Kyrgyzstan last year on a mission trip. Uh, we were at Lake Issaquil, and I just stayed near the shore. And, and, and because I have this, this fear of drowning. Uh, and let's, for instance, say that you guys know that this is a fear of mine, and we go out to a water activity, Right? Let's say we go out to a lake and there's a dock uh, and you see me right, taking off the life vest. Because if I'm going to go in the deep end, I always have to wear a life vest. Right? Um, again, embarrassing. But let's say that we're all hanging out right, and we're at the dock and it's a deep end. You see me take off that life vest and just with all this joy, right, just jump into the lake. Right? You would be extremely puzzled, right? especially if you know my history. Like what's... What's up with DC? What, what's changed in him? Uh, did someone hypnotize him so this fear of, of drowning is no longer an issue? Or did he get swim lessons? Maybe he got swim lessons. Therefore, he can now go into the deep end. You would be puzzled. You would ask questions. What's happened with this man who was, fear, who was uh, uh, deathly scared of drowning, but now he's jumping into the deep end? You'll start wondering and ask these questions. And, and we have to in Jacob's life as well. Jacob goes, undergoes a radical and dramatic transformation where in the beginning of chapter 32, he is gripped and paralyzed with fear. He's about to face his greatest fear. But at the end of this chapter and entering into chapter 33, something, something changes, something snaps. And he's actually able to face his greatest fear. What's happened in Jacob's life that, that, that created this type of transformation where he's able to face his deepest fear? So what happened? What caused this? Did someone, did someone hypnotize him? Did he go through a series of mental exercises to, to be, then be able to face his greatest fear? What's the answer? Here it is. Jacob had an intimate encounter with God. That's it. That's the answer. Why is Jacob able to face his deepest, darkest fears? It's because he encountered God. He had an in intimate encounter with him, and it changed him. It changed him forever. So what did this specific encounter with God how did this specific encounter with God change him? What about this encounter was different than the previous encounters that he had with God? Three key elements that we need to see in this encounter that Jacob has with God. First, we see a confrontation. Secondly, we hear a confession. And lastly, we see a dramatic change. So confrontation, confession, and then change. So first, confrontation. See, this isn't the first time that Jacob has a run-in with God. God, throughout Jacob's life, J Jacob's life, constantly goes before him to reveal his goodness, his faithfulness, that I'm with you, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to provide for you, right? On his way to Haran, he has a dream, and God encounters him there. And he gives him these great and grand promises to comfort him at the time where he was running for his life. Right? When he's in Haran, he actually speaks to Jacob once again, saying, you're ready to go back to Canaan. 
And in the beginning of chapter 32, we see God again encountering Jacob. He sends angels, not just one, but angels to comfort him, knowing what's ahead of him, knowing that he's going to face his greatest fear and his greatest enemy. God does this amazing act by sending angels. And in all these encounters, the common, a common theme that God is trying to communicate to Jacob is, I'm here for you. I haven't left you. I haven't abandoned you. It's an encounter of comfort, reassuring him of the promise that he made to Jacob. And so every encounter that we see Jacob have with God is, is communicating comfort, right? Peace. But this encounter is a little bit different. This encounter is actually a confrontation. God confronts Jacob in a very aggressive way. He enters into a wrestling match with Jacob. See, if we look at Jacob's life, what we see is a radically independent, self-sufficient individual. Even though God made a promise to bless him, what we see Jacob doing is taking everything into his own hands. Every opportunity of a blessing, he's trying to reach and grab himself. Not once does he go to God and ask for Rachel. Not, not once does he go to God to ask him for livestock or blessing. He looks for opportunities and he makes the most out of them for himself. Radically independent and self-sufficient. And each time, with each obstacle that he faces, he's able to con his way into getting things for himself. However, he finds himself at a situation where he can't con his way out. He can't figure out things on his own. He is now gripped with fear. And what is this fear that has gripped Jacob? See, God tells Jacob to go back to Canaan. Right? And so he obeys. He starts traveling back to the land of Canaan where he was originally from. Now, 20 years now. He's been 20 years removed from his homeland, Canaan. And now he's about to go back. And now he's at the border and at a region called Jabbok. What's on the other side? It's his brother, Esau. The last time Jacob saw his brother, uh, Esau, Esau was trying to kill him. Esau was trying to kill him. And across this border, Esau is waiting for him. And he is frozen. He can't do anything. Which is interesting because God has tremendously best blessed Jacob. Right? We hear that he has two wives and those wives have servants. They start producing children like crazy. Jacob is a busy man. He has 13 children. 12 sons and one daughter, right? Amazing. God's promise is, become, is, is, is being realized now with all these children. Not only that, through another encounter with his uncle Laban and through two different occasions of deception, Jacob is now rich. He has hundreds and hundreds upon uh, livestock, goats, sheep, lamb, camels. Not only that, he has servants. He is a blessed man. He has so much in his possession, but yet, yet, when he has everything, he can't enter into the land of Canaan because of his fear, because of the fear of his brother. 
And so even with all this, he doesn't know what to do. But again, in Jacob-like fashion, he comes up with a plan. He sends his servants to go ahead and prep his brother Esau for his return. And he tells, tells his servant to tell Esau, your brother Jacob is coming and he's coming with all these gifts, all these gifts, right? To appease Esau, he sends a servant to give and deliver this message, right? And he has his master plan in mind, but something happens. The servant comes back and tells Jacob, yeah, your brother's on his way. And he has 400 men with him. Right? His plan is not, going, it's not going according to plan. He thought, if I can just give Esau all these things, maybe he will accept me. But again, it doesn't go according to the way he thought it would go. So in his distress, he cries out to God. He actually finally humbles himself and asks God. But this, is, this happens after Jacob, in his own mind, executes this plan, this strategy. So what happens next when he finds out that Esau is coming with 400 men? He splits his camp in two, just in case one camp gets destroyed, the other camp can get away free. Right? But even then, he still tells his servant to carry out the plan, his original plan. And th this plan was a caravan of gifts. And with each series of gifts, there's a servant that, that, that practiced a speech to give to, uh, to, to share with Esau right? Hundreds and hundreds of livestock. And after each series of, of gifts, there's a servant there to announce right? Jacob's uh, offering, his gift to Esau. But even then with this plan, he is gripped with fear. And in the evening, he sends his wife and his children and everything that he has across the floor to Jabbok. And he's left alone. And this is when God confronts Jacob. What is this confrontation about? Why is God, why does God enter a wrestling match with Jacob? See, what God is doing is he's confronting Jacob's faith. He's confronting Jacob's attitude of self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Essentially what God is doing, he's confronting Jacob's greatest idol, and that is himself. And so God confronts him in this wrestling match. See, Jacob doesn't know that it's God at first. He doesn't. He just starts wrestling. But it's, this wrestling match goes until the break of dawn. I, I don't know if you've ever wrestled with your siblings or wrestled with a friend. At most, maybe two minutes, you can wrestle without getting tired. Right? But he wrestles until the breaking of day. Verse 24 through 26. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, Jacob is no pushover. He, he makes it to the breaking of day. And he realizes that he's wrestling against God when this man simply touches his hip and his hip comes out of joint. It is then that he realizes that he's not wrestling an ordinary man. He's actually wrestling God himself. Now, I've never wrestled in my life. Uh, Pastor Michael has wrestled, so you can ask him. But I'm pretty certain if my hip comes out of joint, 
That's when I'm done. Right? I tap out. I, I, you win. But, but it's impossible to wrestle without able to, being able to use your hips. But Jacob still holds on. He clings on to God. This, this is incredible. Right? We're seeing something changing in Jacob's life. He hangs on desperately and asks God, bless me. And for the first time, we see Jacob out of character. He's no longer self-sufficient. He's no longer self-reliant. He's not depending on himself for blessing. He is now desperately clinging on to God, wanting God to bless him. See, his whole life, he was manufacturing his own blessings. He was manufacturing his own blessings. And what that does, when we succeed in manufacturing our own blessings, what what does that do? That fractures our relationship with God because we realize we could do this on our own. I don't need God to bless me. But now finally, Jacob comes to a point where no longer can he manufacture his own blessing. He's hit a wall. I can't do this. I need you, God, to do something for me. And we see Jacob cling to God desperate for him to bless him. Knowing that only God can save him from this fear that he has. And so God confronts Jacob to challenge his faith and to challenge his confidence. Church, brothers and sisters, God confronts us in the same way. Not much has changed in in God's way of of revealing himself to us. He confronts us in a very similar way. And he sometimes uses difficult circumstances to challenge our faith. Other times he may inflict pain to show us our weakness and our complete inability to save ourselves. Even if it was Jacob that got himself in this mess, God will use that to demonstrate and show that we're not able to save ourselves. We are inadequate. We're completely unable to deliver ourselves. See, the truth is we are all Jacob. We are all Jacob. We exhaust every option. We exhaust every single option in our lives besides God to make our lives better, to try and change ourselves. We exhaust every option until only The only option we have is God. See, we reach into our own tool bags to try and fix our lives until we can't find one to do it. See, we trust our resume, our abilities, our personalities, maybe even relationships. But just like in Jacob's life, in all these things, we are trying to save ourselves. We're trying to manufacture blessings apart from God. But throughout all of our attempts, through all of us exhausting every option, God, in the midst of that, is still reaching out to us. He's still blessing us. He's still providing. We see this in Jacob's life. Even though Jacob is trying to do everything on his own, we see God subtly, right, saying, no, I'm blessing you. No, I'm going to give you wives. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you livestock. I'm going to give you possessions and wealth. He provides and blesses, but... Throughout the whole time, Jacob feels, fails to see God. And many of us, we fail to see God in, our, in, the, in the blessings that we receive in our lives. And after a while, subtlety doesn't work. 
Subtlety doesn't work. And so to get our attention, God confronts us. He abruptly confronts us. See, God was always there for Jacob. Jacob just failed to see him. It is in the moment of desperation that we're able to clearly look to God and to see God. In the moment of desperation, when we're completely bankrupt, when we're at the lowest of lows, that is when we see God clear, clearly, and more vividly. The Christian life begins when we've come to an end of ourselves, when we realize that we can't save ourselves. And more times than not, we have to find ourselves with absolutely nothing, hitting rock bottom to be able to know and to see that God is the only one that can save. Corrie ten Boom, uh, who was a Dutch Christian woman who helped Jews uh, during World War II, and she herself experienced the concentration camps. This is what she says in this quote. You never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Isn't that true? You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. See, one enters a Christian life not with hands full, right? Offering God all these gifts. No. We enter the Christian life hands empty, spiritually bankrupt, poor, desperate, crawling. That is the only way, brothers and sisters, to enter into God's family is to know that we are bankrupt. We have nothing to offer him. And that is why Jesus says in his famous sermon, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And Jesus also said, it's easier for a camel to enter through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Jacob is rich. He has everything. Everything he could possibly want, but yet he's hit a wall. He can't enter into the promised land. Why? Why? Because even with all these blessings, he doesn't have God. And that's why he clings to God finally here in this passage. See, Jacob's transformation started with a confrontation with God where Jacob, Jacob realized his total inability and clung desperately to him. However, the transformation continues through a confession we hear from Jacob. See, God cripples Jacob and Jacob won't let go until God blesses him. And then God asks him this interesting question, this bizarre question. God knows the answer to this question, but he asks it anyways. What is your name? God asks Jacob, asks Jacob, what is your name? So why does God do this? God already knows the answer. Why does he do this? See, a name represents not only just a title, but who that individual is. Who that individual is. A name has so much meaning in this culture. Right? What God is asking Jacob to do is to disclose himself, speak truthfully about himself. What does Jacob mean? It means heel grabber, deceiver, cheater, trickster, right? And so what, Jacob, what God is asking Jacob to do is confess. Who are you? Who are you really? Now confronted by God and in his holy presence, Jacob is asked to reveal and become naked before God. And what does Jacob say? 
Verse 27, he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He says, I'm a deceiver. I'm a cheater. I'm a heel grabber. We can't miss the significance of what's happening here. One of the hardest things that we can do is let people into our lives, to really let people into our lives and our mess. I remember in the period of, uh, of dating uh, my wife, uh, I came to a point where I had to let her know about my past. I just had to let her know. It's only fair for her to know what I've been through, right? even my past relationships, because I felt like she needs to know. That was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. I never felt so vulnerable and so weak and so broken when I was sharing with Jane my past addictions, my past relationships. But this is what's happening here between God and Jacob. Jacob is unveiling himself. He's sharing everything. See, brothers and sisters, it's so easy for us to, to not tell others and not expose ourselves to other people. Right? I think we do two things. We do predominantly two things to, to try to prevent others from really, really knowing us. The first thing is we try to pretend. The second we do is we perform. We either pretend or we perform. Jacob in his life did both. He did both. He pretended to be Esau when he wasn't so that he can be blessed. And even now what he is doing to try to appease Esau, he's trying to perform. He's trying to put on a show. Esau, I have all these things I can give to you, right? Hoping that somehow Esau would forgive and accept him. He's putting on a show. But here, Jacob confesses and admits who he really is, that he's a sinner in need of God. Friends, how do we pretend? How do we pretend? We pretend by minimizing our sins, by sugarcoating it. We'll say stuff like, oh, I dabble in porn. When the Bible calls you an adulterer. Some of us will say, we'll say something like this. Oh, I talk, to other, I talk about other people to other people because I'm concerned for them. No, you're a gossiper. You're a slanderer. Like, there's nothing wrong with nice things. Right? We, we say stuff like that, but you're, you're a coveter. You're greedy. See what we're doing here? We are pretending to be better than who we really are. Right? We compare ourselves to others. We minimize our sins. We minimize God's law. And so we come up with these nice phrases. How do we perform then? We do, we do a bunch of good things, religious things. Right? To give a guise of holiness. We serve. We give our money. We volunteer. And we think we are righteous because we do all these things. Right? We're putting on a show for God right? to cover our weaknesses, to cover our shame and guilt. See, but God gets to the core of Jacob's heart by asking, his, asking him his name. See, no more pretending, no more performing. Who are you really? And I want to ask that question to you all. Who are you really? What is your name? I'm an adulterer. I'm wicked, I'm prideful, I'm hateful, I'm selfish, I'm a gossiper. What is your name?
See, it's only by confessing our true self, bearing it all before God, where we give God free reign to now forgive us, to change us, and to transform us. See, God doesn't want a, a specific version of ourselves. He wants the raw me. He wants you for who you really are, the good, bad, and ugly. So God confronts Jacob to expose him to get a truthful confession. So Jacob stopped pretending and performing, and he confessed. And it is only after this confession that we see God change Jacob forever. Jacob is transformed. He's changed. Verse 28, then he said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Wow. God changes his name. He's no longer cheater, deceiver, trickster, heel grabber, but now he is Israel. Israel, which means you have striven with God and men, have prevailed. See, Jacob undergoes a dramatic change. Part of his change, it is physical because he's now forever going to have a limp. But that is a small price to pay for his whole disposition to be changed, for his whole identity to be changed from Jacob to Israel. Friends, it's better for us to limp and walk with God than to run this life without him. It is better for us to be limping with God than to run in this life without him. And so sometimes God will confront us to wound us so that we will walk with him, so that we will depend and trust in him for our lives. See, all this is great, right? A wrestling match, God, like Jacob holds on for dear life. His hip comes out of his socket. His name is changed. But yet, he still has to face his greatest fear. He still has to face his brother, right? Verse, chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. This is, this is a dramatic change that we see now in Jacob's life. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided his children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Wow. His plan changed. Before, he had a caravan of gifts stuck between him and his brother Esau with a servant that practiced the speech to give to Esau. But now he forgoes that plan. He goes ahead of everyone. He puts himself at risk before his brother. What is going on here? This is, this is a, a, a amazing transformation that we see in Jacob's life. No, 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 just picture this. Before this wrestling match, Jacob was healthy. He had full motion in his hips. So if, he, if, if Esau came at him, he can at least run or he can at least try and put up a fight. But even then, in his healthy state, what does he do? He plans this caravan of gifts to, to be between him and uh, Esau. But now Jacob is crippled now. He's crippled. He cannot fight back. He can't run away. But boldly, he goes before Esau. What has changed? 
What has changed in Jacob's life? He has God. He has God. When before he did everything apart from God, now he has God. He clung to God desperately and God blessed him. And he knew that it was God that blessed him. With that power, he's able to face his greatest fear. See, the story of Jacob's life is a story of grace. Story of grace. On numerous occasions, Jacob disqualified himself to be the one to to carry out God's plan of salvation, to be uh, the promised one. But what happened? God continues to bless him and bless him and bless him. And finally, God confronts him. He shows and reveals himself to him. And God initiates with him the whole time to demonstrate his love and faithfulness to him. So the Christian life, our Christian life is similar to Jacob's story. God confronts us. He confronts us in our sins. He reveals his sufficiency. We confess our utter need for saving and we cling to the work of Jesus Christ. And as we do, then we become a new creation. We are changed. See, real change comes from knowing and accepting God's love. Jacob doesn't receive a new, new name after he changed his life. His life changed after he received a new name. He demonstrated boldness. He, he's able to face his enemies. This is the gospel. We have a God who wants to engage and encounter sinners like you and me. Jesus Christ is the ultimate manifestation of God's encounter with humanity. In his earthly ministry, we see him struggling and wrestling with sinful humanity. But in this wrestling match, he loses. Not because he's weak, but because his love is so strong for us. Not only does he wrestle with sinful humanity, he wrestles with God, his father. In the garden of Gethsemane, he's tormented. He's tormented. He's wrestling with God because he knows what's, what's coming. He knows that he has to bear the wrath of God for sinners. And instead of suffering a wound like Jacob did, Jesus Christ gave up his life. He died on that cross for us. And instead of receiving blessings, which he was qualified to receive all the blessings, he became a curse hanging on that tree so that broken sinners like you and me can enter into God's promised land. See, our lives now is lived in response to the sacrifice of Christ. I hope that we can continue to cling to him with all our being, all our being. That is the only way we're gonna enter into everlasting life and that is the only way we're gonna be transformed into the likeness of Christ. May we do so with his strength and power. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your love and for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you confront us. That you engage and encounter us. Even when we're living in sin, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross. Father, I pray uh, that, that we will not try and save ourselves or change ourselves, but help us, Lord, to grow in dependence and reliance upon you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for what Jesus Christ has done.
May our lives reflect and may our lives continue to grow in that reliance and dependence on the gospel. Father, we, we are desperate for you. God, may you hold, send your Holy Spirit to do a work in and through our lives for your glory, for your name, and for our good. We thank you. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.